You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We are kickstarting a brand new series we are calling What Shapes Us. Now in this series, we are going over the doctrines of our statement of faith so that, number one, we will have a greater understanding of God in the Bible and we will have a greater revelation or rather a greater reverence for our worship and a greater gospel proclamation and demonstration to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me make some few disclaimers before we begin. Uh, number one, we will be jumping from verse to verse. So it would be great if you have your Bibles ready with you on hand to underline, to highlight those texts. Uh, while I was reading the series guide, I realized that this is a topical type of sermon or topical type of series, meaning, if you've noticed me before, whenever I preach, it's always verse by verse. Interestingly, that's not the case here. We'll be jumping from different texts and really, we get to realize how all of these texts point to one single thing. And secondly, this sermon would be more of a teaching, preaching kind of sermon. I'll try my best not to make it sound like a classroom, but rather, my prayer is that it will really ignite our souls, right? To pour gasoline over our souls and our theology and light it on fire. And if by this sermon, by the grace of God, it will stir up your affections by God, even by 1%, I believe I have done my job. Now, for this week one, we'll be tackling on the doctrine of God. Allow me to read from our statement of faith on God. It says here, We believe in one God, the creator and sustainer of all things. He is perfect and unchanging, completely loving, good and holy, limitless in knowledge and power and presence. God eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One in essence, having same divine attributes and perfections with each person fulfilling distinct roles. Gracious in his eternal purpose to redeem a people for himself. God is worthy of wholehearted love and worship. John 17 verse 3. It says here, This is eternal life that they know you. The only true God, Jesus Christ in whom you have sent. Every book in this world, if it were directed towards the characters and the attributes of God, it will not be able to fully encapsulate it. That's how great and vast the character of God is. According to the Bible, at least we have a better grasp of who God is and what He is like. Before we do that though, we need to answer why, right? It's imperative that we ask why, right? Why is it important for us to know the attributes of God. Why do we spend our time knowing who God is and what He is like? Here's my question for everyone. Why do you think it's important for us to know who God is? Isn't it just enough, Mark, that we know that uh, there is a God? That we have a big man in the sky and He will save me from sin, whatever that is? Is it enough but that Jesus loves me, this I know? For the Bible tells me so, right? Is it enough for us to know that God is good all the time? Is that enough? Does our knowledge of God, friends, in merely a collection of vague statements that sounds just about right? Does our knowledge of God simply coming from TikTok, if they have views, if they have likes, maybe chak Tunisia? Does the knowledge of God only comes from self-analysis and self-reflection? Many Christians today have a knowledge of God that is very infantile and is more a result of imagination rather than divine revelation. Many Christians today have a knowledge of God that is very infantile 
there is more of an imagination rather than divine revelation. If that is true today, friends, then we are walking a very dangerous path. Why? Because how we view the Lord, how we view God directly affects how we live our lives. I love how Stephen Lawson says it this way. He said, that, tell me what you believe about God and I'll tell 50 things about you. Tell me what you believe about God and I'll tell you 50 things about your life. Because a high view of God leads to high view of worship. A low view of God leads to trivial worship. Isn't that right? How we view the Lord affects how we love others, how we treat others, your generosity, if stingy or generous, how you treat your spouse, if you're patient, kind, or faithful, how we view God affects how we pray. It affects how you work. Will you steal? Will you cheat? Dr. R.C. Sproul said this way, the doctrine of God is the most important doctrine of the Bible because the doctrine of God becomes the lens in which you see everything else. What you believe about God directly affects what your worldview is, how you view history, how you view culture, politics, society, marriage. It affects everything. In fact, I would push to even say, we could say that salvation is the knowledge of God. Right? John 17 verse 3. And this is eternal life that we know. That we know the Lord. That we know Him. I'm not saying the knowledge about God saves us. No, that's not my point. I'm not saying that you need X amount of knowledge in order to be saved. That's not my point, friends. But to be outside of the kingdom of God is to really know about God, to know about the things about God, but you don't really know Him. To be in the kingdom of God, it means you know Him intimately, that you have a relationship with the Lord by virtue of what Christ did for us on the cross. I love how Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 says it this way. It says here, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But look at this one. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows the Lord. Do not boast about your greatness. Do not boast about your richness. Because really, in light of true greatness, in light of true riches, in light of true mightiness, guess what? All of it pales in comparison. It fades away like smoke. What are we to boast? Not in our power, not in our money, not in our achievements. We are to boast that we know the Lord. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as the Lord. Knowing Christ is much more precious than gold. Knowing the Lord is much more precious than fame. Knowing the Lord is much more precious than all of these things in creation, friends. Now, my question is, do you believe that? Does being found in Him most precious to you? If you're having a hard time believing that, maybe, just maybe, you do not know the lore of the Bible. For the remainder of the preaching, the outline, basically, we will see verse, we'll see a character of God, and we'll see how it affects your life. We'll try to do that same pattern, verse, character in the Lord, and its implications in our lives, right? So where do we begin? How do we know this God of the Bible? Let's go at the very beginning. We'll cover from Genesis chapter 1 down until Revelation 22. I'm just kidding, no? We'll go through Genesis chapter 1. In fact, to understand who the Lord is, He predates back Genesis 1, right? Genesis chapter 1, it says here, in the beginning, God, right? In the very beginning, God was already there. Before the first matter was even created, 
before even the first Atto Second Church, the triune God was there. Revelation 22 says it this way, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I said, Lord, before God created the skies, the birds, the, the land, the seas, all these things, He was already there. The God that we are talking about, the God that we worship, is the triune God. The one true living God eternally exists in three distinct persons, yet inseparable. The scripture teaches us that there is one God. At the same time, scripture also tells us that the Father is God, that the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. That the Trinity is a concept which is impossible for any man to fully comprehend, let alone explain. But God is infinitely greater than we are, therefore, we should expect to fully understand Him. But nevertheless, we'll try as best as we can tonight to really understand the triune God. Then we'll go at His attributes in a while. Number one, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Very clear, right? There is only one Lord. And a scripture, scripture also tells us in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was anything made that was made. Verse 14, and the Word became what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus Himself says it in John chapter 10 verse 30. I and the Father are, are what? Are one. Scripture also tells us that the Holy Spirit is God. Acts chapter 5, it's very interesting. When Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 5, it says here, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To keep back for yourself the proceeds of the land. You have not lied to man, but to God. The Holy Spirit is God. In fact, if you look at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Luke chapter 3, it says here, Now when all the people were baptized, when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, look at this one, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We see the Trinity also in the Great Commission. Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Baptizing them in the name of what? In the name of who? In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I would argue that the Trinitarian nature of God is not just present in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. A triune God. Genesis 11 verse 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language. Now the word Trinity is not explicitly mentioned in Scripture. However, the theological term is used to express a truth that is clearly seen throughout Scripture. Para magets ang nato, this is important. This is who the Lord, this is whom we are worshiping to. It's imperative that we know who God is. So it can be simplified at least to seven statements. God is one. That the Father is God, that the Son is God, that the Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. All equally God, yet only one in essence, Lord. If you look at each person of the Godhead, not only are they distinct, yet inseparable, they also have different roles. 
if we look at the Trinity in light of our redemption, we see God the Father, he, what did he do? He sent the Son. We see God the Son fulfills the law. God the Son submits to the will of the Father, dies at the cross. We have God the Son resurrecting and sending out the Holy Spirit. Then we have God the Holy Spirit who makes Christ to work effective in our hearts, regenerates our hearts, brings to remembrance the things of God, and sanctifies us. This is how the triune God works in our redemption, friends. Allow me to shift gears for a bit. How does God being triune affect how we live our lives? One aspect of it simply teaches us that the Trinity teaches us that the people are made for other people. In other words, humans are made to live in a community and have meaningful love relationships with other humans. What? The church community is a microcosm of what the Trinity is. That we love one another, that we bear one another, that we treat one another as greater than we are. What also aspect that the Trinity affects? It affects marriage. How the wife submits to the husband, how the husband submits to the Lord. Stephen Siemens, on his book, The Ministry of the Image of God, he says that if Scripture tells us that we are made, that God has made us in His image according to His likeness, therefore, to be a person is to be made in the image of God, that is the heart of the matter. If God is a communion of persons, Trinity, is inseparably related, then it is our relatedness to others of our being consists. It's how we relate with others makes us in the image of God. Now let's continue. We talked about the aseity of God, how He's eternal and self-sufficient. He was there before creation. We talk about His Trinitarian nature. And now, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God begins to create everything. So can you open up your Bibles again to flip them to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? It says here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's interesting, if you continue reading Genesis chapter 1, there is one phrase that's been repeated multiple times. Multiple times. You know what that phrase is? See, read it for a while. Genesis chapter 1. Skim through it. You have it there. What? And God said, let there be. And it was? And it was so. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be the expanse in the heavens. And there was. Let there be land. And then there was land. Can you imagine how incredible, what power the Lord has, church? Think about it for a while. The Lord spoke the universe into being. Psalm 33 verse 6, By the word of the Lord, heavens were made. By the breath of His mouth, all its hosts. By the word of God, things came into existence. One attribute exemplified here is God's omnipotence. Omnipotence simply means God possesses all power. One other definition is that God's omnipotence is this, that He has complete and total control over everything. I like this one. Look at this one. Isaiah 14 verse 27. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, who will annul it? His hand has stretched out, who will turn it back? Rhetorical question it's the, the demands, or rather, it screams, answer no one. No one can turn the hands of God. Job 42 says it this way. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all things. 
Ano si Job? That no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God, in all His power, has made everything in this world by the power of His word. God is not strained when He creates things, church. The reason why He rested was for fellowship with man. But God needed no rest. Think about the world for a bit. How beautiful the world is. How long you have tried diving in Darwin? How long you have tried diving in Darwin? How long you have seen coral reefs? When you dive there, when you see the coral reefs, it's very amazing. No, it's like a different world. I was talking to Atitas a couple of weeks ago about diving. And it's really an amazing thing. Parang, when you go there, when you see it, parang, man, it's a whole new world. It's a whole new world, no? It's like a different place. And what can create such great beauty? If you go to, let's say, it's a Mount Alinis, you see the beautiful views. Guess what? It speaks about the power of God. How God created all these things, very beautiful things, by the word of His mouth. By the word of His mouth. Who among you here love animals? I know someone who loves very, I would say, Distinct animals, my different tarantulas. I find it very weird. I don't like it. Madog, arachnids. But anyway, it's very interesting because there's a lot of unique species in the world. If you look at the ecosystem, how the Lord has ordained things to be, how it's self-sufficient and all these things. Why just look in creation? If you look at our bodies, no? the intricacies of the human body. How God has made its bodily functions, how it breaks down food, how it stores energy, how it grows. How from a single cell creates to a human being. God has designed all that. In fact, if you look at the galaxies of this world, the earth is so small and compared to the great vastness of the universe. Isn't that right? All of these things, all of these great things simply comes from the word of God. Let it be, the Lord says, it was so. What great Encouragement is this for us, church. In one sense, what does the omnipotence of God affect my life? I don't know about you, but knowing about His all-powerfulness of God makes me want to pray. Think about every burden that you have right now. Think about it. Close your eyes. Think about every little problem that you have or great problem that you have. It could be you're failing grade. Your debts, addiction, household salvation, relational tension, death, disease, depression. Guess what? All these things, it's not difficult for the Lord. Yet, it's not difficult for God. It's not just us affecting us wanting to pray. It's also us wanting to worship the Lord. Isn't that right? El Shaddai simply means what? God Almighty. Even His name speaks of His character. God is all-powerful. It's interesting how Stephen Lawson explains the omnipotence of God. He says, God, as being all-powerful, he says that God possesses all power. That's interesting. God possesses all power. Let's pause for a while. Think about that. Even the little power that we have, whatever temporal nature it may be, us waking up in the morning, us working, us going to work, us serving in the ministry, our vitality, our strength to speak, all of those things has been delegated to us from God. Why? God possesses us all power. God lends us this strength. Therefore, to a degree, if you think about it, when God calls us home, He is not taking our life. He is mainly stops giving it. 
Not only does God create everything in the universe, guess what? He also sustains it. Right? Colossians chapter 1. Look at this one. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, with the thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Look at this one. Verse 17. And He is before all things, and in Him, all things hold together. Without the all-powerful God continually giving power and strength, everything in this world will fall apart. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Hebrews 4 verse 13. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. What does this verse tell us? God's omniscience, right? That's about God's omniscience. That no, nothing in this whole world is hidden from His eyes. Not only is God all-powerful, change, He's also all-knowing. God knows the past, God knows the present, and He knows the future. Psalm 139, verse 1 to 4. I like this. Look at this one. Oh Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is out of my tongue, behold, oh Lord, You know it altogether. God does not just know what is about to happen or what is happening. God also knows all of our ways, our thoughts, our emotions. Isn't that interesting? There's two emotions I feel like would surface by this omniscience of God. I think it would bring great comfort. At the same time, I think it would bring great conviction as well. Great comfort in a sense that God knows every detail of our lives. Not just He knows every detail, but in His omniscience, God knows what's around the corner. God knows what's about to happen if we do this. God knows what's about to happen if we don't do this. God sees what we don't see. God knows the best answer to the prayers that we have before we bring it to the Lord. God takes everything into account as we lay our petitions before the Lord. If that is true... We could even say that praise God for unanswered prayers. Isn't that right? Thinking about unanswered prayers, God knows what's around the corner if He answers it. Maybe God is protecting you from yourself because He has perfect knowledge. Isaiah 40, verse 13 to 14. Look at this one. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? What man has shown Him His counsel? Whom did He consult? And whom made Him understand? I love this. It's all a bunch of rhetorical questions. Who has taught him the path of justice? Who has taught him knowledge? Who has showed him the way of understanding? Look at this. The answer to all those questions is a resounding no one. None. No one can tell the Lord these things because he knows it already. God knows these things. Understanding the omniscience of God affects our prayer. That we don't have to come before the Lord and give Him details of what's, what's happening in your life as if wala siya kabalo. There is no new information you can give to the Lord that He does not already know. Now, Lord, you should answer my prayers because X, Y, Z. God knows that. In fact, He knows it more than you. I say this text brings us great comfort in the sense that God knows our problems. Of course, God is good. 
another attribute of Him and I don't think we can cover. So we can trust in His goodness. Amen? I'm saying it brings great comfort at the same time it brings conviction because at the same time, God knows everything about us. In a sense that He sees all our mistakes. That no secret thing about us, the Lord does not know. Even the skeletons in our closet that we are afraid leader Guess what? The Lord knows nothing. Nothing escapes from the gaze of God. What brings me great encouragement is another attribute of the Lord. It says here, God's attribute is God's love. Meaning, despite, despite, despite God knowing our deepest sins, our darkest mistakes, God has loved us nonetheless. What great love it is, my friends. Look at this one. About God, God's attribute of His love. First John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. His love is so amazing, incomprehensible that He chooses to love you and I. He chooses to love even the unlovable. Despite our sinners, God who is thrice holy, who must punish sin, chooses to send His Son to die on the cross for our sin because of what? Because of love. Romans 5 verse 8, But God shows us His love for in that while we were still sinners, Scripture tells us, Christ died for us. But Christ died for us. Greater love has no one than this. Someone lay down his life for his friends. The Lord lays his down his life for us. First John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us. That we should be called the children of God. Kita, children of God. Despite knowing our deepest, darkest sins, God in eternity past has chosen you and I. It's not as if na five minutes from now, makasin si Kevin, makasin si Pastor Tom, ah, you know what, Pastor Tom? I don't love you anymore. Goodbye. God sees all of our actions, past, present, and future, and has died for us on the cross. What amazing love at this church. Another attribute I would like to cover is God's immutability. Again, it's just exhaustive, scratching the surface. But my prayer is we get to see a glimpse of the beauty of God. Another attribute of the Lord is immutability. Meaning, God does not change. How reassuring is that, friends? God never changes. God is unchangeable in His character and all His ways. He is unalterable. It is impossible for God to either decrease or increase because it's already imperfect. It's impossible for God to change. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Very clear. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is unchangeable. 
unlike man, we are changeable, isn't it right? Some days we love the Lord, we're so passionate. Other days, we go tired and dull. Sometimes friends get out with each other. Other times, not so much. A great encouragement for us friends is God is unchangeable. If you look at the attributes of the Lord, of God, it's not just a single attribute isolated from His other attributes. It is all-encompassing and affects one another. So in a sense, God's love is also unchanging. God's omnipotence is also unchanging. God's holiness is unchanging. His omnipotence is immutable. His love is immutable. His omniscience is immutable. His holiness is immutable. Not just His character, but His Word is unchanging. God's Word can never change. God's Word can never fail, church. What God has said, it is etched in stone. Numbers 23 verse 19, God is not man that He should lie. Or a son of man to change his mind. God does not repent. He doesn't need to. Has he said, will he not do it? Or has he spoken, will he not fulfill it? Matthew 5 verse 18, I love this. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law all, until all it is accomplished. Luke 16, 17, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. We can bank our eternity upon the Word of God. Amen? It tells me that when you read Scripture, what right will always be right. What's wrong will always be wrong. It does not change by the times. It does not change by the culture. It does not change by anything because it is firm. God does not change. He never changes. Not only is His character immutable, not only is His word unchanging, what brings me great encouragement, He is unchanging in His salvation. That in eternity past, Romans will tell it that God has already chosen, has predestined whom He has saved. God has chosen a bride, the church, for His Son, to whom the Lord has set His heart upon eternity past, his electing love, God will bring about their salvation. He will bring out about the salvation to the death of His Son, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. All of us, friends, look at this one. All of us will be kept secure in His love, never falling from grace, if indeed we are in Christ. 
a believer, or rather a true believer, will never become an unbeliever. Those whom God put in His kingdom, He will never put out of His kingdom. Romans 8, 29 and 30, the golden chain, as others would call it. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He has predestined, look at this one, He also called. And those whom He has called, He has also justified. And those He has justified, friends, He will glorify. The group whom God has chosen in eternity past is exactly the same group whom God will bring in eternity future. There is no dropouts in the kingdom of God. Doesn't that bring you great encouragement? Despite our failings, God's love saves us. His mercy saves us. And this gives glory to who? To us? No. All glory back to the Lord. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. But whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life starts when we are saved. Is that right? Meaning, if we are to lose our eternal life, it wasn't eternal in the first place. If you're a Christian for five years, then you backslid it and never return to the Lord again. Guess what? That's not eternal life. That's only five-year life. But God promises us. What does the unchanging Word of God promise us? That He will give us eternal life. We talk about His goodness, His, His aseity, His omnipotence, you know, omnipresence, yang wrath, holiness the Lord. But I pray and we'll find a time to really get to know these characters, the Lord. It will really affect how we live our life, church. And I'm going to end with the first verse we read today. John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Yes, today we've talked about God, about His attributes, but make no mistake, friends, mere factual knowledge does not save. James 2.19 comes into mind. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even demons believe and shudder. The knowing, John 17, talks about a deeper knowing, friends. That we believe God. That Christ died for our sins. That Jesus is the only way to the Father. That we love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds. In light of God's attributes, in light of God's perfection, what are we to do about His attributes? Generally, not just individually, generally. Number one, we should know Him biblically. That is our responsibility. To know God for who He is in Scripture. We should get in His Word, read books about God. We should listen to good preaching, right? 
John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The sheep knows the voice of God. The sheep listens to the voice of God. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. It is in knowing who God is that we also grow in Christ-likeness. Secondly, we should not just know God biblically, we should know God affectionately. But our emotions should stir up whenever we talk about God. It should excite our souls when we talk about God. If you look at one of the attributes of the Lord, His holiness, no other attribute in the Lord was repeated three times aside from His holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Muna worship songs of angels in heaven. That God is thrice holy. When you talk about holiness, seven definition Anna is God is being set apart. He is above and separated from His creation. That He is transcendent. He is not like us. Therefore, what's my point? If God is transcendent and is glorious and is deserving of all majesty and glory, no one can think about God and yawn in His presence. No one can yawn in His presence. He would fall down and worship Him. We should know God affectionately. Friends, Matthew 22, verse 37, He said to him, You shall love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. It is our responsibility to love God. Isn't it true that we would want to know about how our loved ones are doing? If even if nasa a different country. If you friends, how are you? You would want to ask, you want to know things about them. Why? Because you love them. If we love the Lord, isn't it only natural we'd want to know more about Him? Isn't it not natural we'd want to go in Scripture and read about His Word? Isn't it not natural that we would want to join a victory group, go through one-to-one and know more about the Lord? I have this quote, but I forgot who it was. It says here, Knowledge and affection mutually help one another. For what the heart likes, best, the mind studies most. For what the heart likes best, the mind studies most. Lastly, we should not just know God biblically, we should not just know Him affectionately, we should know God experientially. We should experience God firsthand. Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste, come on now, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We to get to experience the love of God firsthand. We to experience the mercy of God firsthand. We to experience the grace of God firsthand. Second Peter chapter three verse eighteen. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen and amen. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these or to access other resources, 
please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.